The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 30 for the week of August 28th, 2017. This is Rob Reck, and I'm here with Alex Wood. Alex, uh, did you watch the fight last night? Uh, fight? There was a fight? I wasn't aware that there was a fight last night. Well, I, I didn't get a chance to see it, but uh, my understanding is that we finally proved that American boxers are better than Irish MMA fighters. Yes, I think that is exactly what happened. Um, you know, there was everyone's uh, mind was wrestling with this question, and now yeah. we know the answer. Yeah, and, and it's, it's good because, you know, if you're if you're going to prove you're better than an MMA, MMA fighter, the best way to do it is in a boxing ring, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I thought they should have done arm wrestling instead, but you know what do I know? All right, well, well good stuff. Let's go ahead and jump into the news. Uh, before we do, just a reminder: uh, we ask folks to, if you like the show, subscribe. On, go to you know iTunes, Google Play, wherever you go. S- subscribe to the podcast so it downloads every week, and do sign up for our mailing list. Uh, every week we do send out the show notes. Uh, it's a nice written reminder of all the articles we go through and the, the jobs that are posted and, of course, the events that are coming up. Um, so first this week, uh, news was that Sling TV's CEO has left to gone over to Pandora. Yeah, and I think on the surface of that, people might think, Sling TV, why is that important? Well, uh, Sling TV is part of Dish Network, which is based here in Colorado. Um, and uh, and so I think that we know yeah. John Everson over there at at, uh, at Dish. So yeah. it's, it's interesting news on that Good front. Big news here in the Denver area. And um, certainly, as we're talking about the fight last night, that, you know, that was one of their big events for the year. And I think a big part of their internet presence is the Sling TV uh, brand. So kind of big news for those guys. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. You can't necessarily get those sort of pay-per-view things on other, other avenues besides Sling. Yeah. Uh, next, a French autonomous shuttle maker, Easy Mile, is moving its headquarters uh, to Denver. So that's and pretty cool. Before everyone gets excited, this is not a space shuttle. This is a like a like a little bus that'll drive you around around town. Yeah, it's sort of um, I don't know. It's sort of a funky looking bus, um, but it's uh, it's a bus nonetheless. You don't need a driver. So uh, congratulations to them. More people in the area. Um, you know, we might have these automated buses going around town here pretty soon. You never know. It seems like it's very possible that Stephen King's uh, world that he imagined in Christine, where the car comes to life and attacks people, <laughs> might not be that far from reality. Maybe we will have uh, fights between the uh, you know the automated Ubers and the automated shuttles. I love it. Um, so next, uh, identity thieves uh, hijack cell phone accounts to go after virtual currency. This is an article that we got from the Denver Business Journal. It's just interesting to me. The reason we included it uh, is it's it's not Colorado specific, but it was specifically put in the in the Denver Business Journal this last week. Yeah, I think it it's one that illustrates um, operational security and uh, securing. Things that you might not think about. This is just uh, phone numbers and other stuff like that that you can use to reset passwords, gain access to accounts. Um, I think the bad guys are always going to go after the e- easiest avenue. And if um, if the front door's blocked, you're going to go to the side door. Yeah. And, and virtual currencies is a new thing. There's not a lot of processes in place around securing it. So it makes a lot of sense for that, them to focus there right now. We talked about it last week, but we have another article in here about uh, the trouble that Route 9B down in Colorado Springs has been facing they have a an auction set for this week for the uh, for all of their assets to be sold. So uh, interested to see how that turns out. Hopefully, they can uh, 
find some financing or whatever it might be to keep the company going so they don't have to go into this auction. Yeah, we'll, we'll know next week on the show whether, whether they ended up delaying or going through with it. And we'll let you guys know. Uh, on the other side, WebRoup is reporting their 14th consecutive quarter of double-digit growth. I, I feel like that's something that I've heard before, but only slightly different, Rob. Yeah. I, I think maybe three months ago we heard that they had their 13th consecutive quarter. And and hopefully we, we get to talk about it in three more months, right? Um, they did say it was a 15% uh, year-over-year bookings growth for the for, for the fiscal year, so they're moving in the right direction, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, keep growing. Good for them. Uh, next, IntelliSecure earns their Crest certification. So, uh, this is a long-standing, highly respected, independent accreditation within the information security testing industry. The Crest certification provides IntelliSecure clients the assurance and confidence in knowing penetration testing services in their organization conform to and are conducted using the highest ethical industry standards. So it sounds that sounds a lot like marketing speak, but I'll say this: um, IntelliSecure historically has been a managed service provider, um, really outsourced DLP and then outsourced SIM. Uh, as they're getting focused more, you know, as they're excuse me, broadening their focus to include penetration testing, you know, hopefully they're going to get better at that. And, and I know that it's a relatively new offering for them and something that they're getting better at here and hopefully giving some more confidence to their customers. Yeah. On a serious note, I had never heard of the Crest certification. So um, maybe something that I will look into as well. Yeah. Uh, next cable labs, which is, I, I don't think we've talked about cable labs on the show before. Have we? I don't know that we have. Um, so they, they are a, uh, a member-owned organization that does testing and research for the cable companies. Uh, and Mike Mike Glenn, who's the CISO over there, is a friend of ours. He sent us over a, a new white paper that they put together called A Vision for Secure IoT. Um, and it's really just a, a kind of principles and governance for how you would create a secure IoT environment. Uh, they created it for, of course, their member organizations, but he wanted us to share it more broadly with the security community. It's re- pretty good stuff. I'd recommend you take a look if you're looking at IoT in your own organization. Yeah, I really appreciate the fact that Cable Labs has um, a strong security person there and that they're pushing forward um, these strong security standards that the cable industry can help adopt. Uh, next, Red Canary had a blog on detecting ransomware behind the scenes of an attack. Um, th- there's any not anything crazy in there, but it's a, a good look at you know the steps that actually happen when a machine is being infected with ransomware. So it's uh, s- some good uh, some good graphical pieces in there, looking at uh, the steps that the machine is going the the. Uh, the commands that are executed, the programs that are run, that sort of thing. Yeah, Red Canary does managed outsource services around um, around endpoint detection like this. So as they walk us through the specific technical things they see, this is stuff you can use internally as well, right? Like, hey, what what is it that they triggered on? So I can start trying to trigger on that in my own program. It looks like some interesting stuff. I'd recommend you take a look if you do run security operations at your organization. Uh, next, we have a blog from Ping Identity. It's What is Web Access Management, also known as WAM. Um, this is one of the technology areas at Ping that not, not everyone's heard of. You know, most folks have heard of single sign-on or, or MFA, but what is web access management or even access management in general? And I'll just give a, a real quick summary. It's, it's really that runtime security versus authentication and authorization up front. This is as, the, as you have access already, your session's already in place. What are you able to do? Um, so this article goes through kind of summarizing what does legacy WAM look like? Uh, it was really, tr- you know, kind of traditionally the agent-based stuff. And then what does more modern look like? And they go through the the proxy model and what that looks like as well. So it, anyway, it's a nice little primer for WAM and, and maybe get some folks associated with that. 
and you know one of the most important parts of uh, of <laughs> of <laughs> can't even say it. He's gonna oh. make a George Michael joke. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> one of the, the most important parts of of modern Wham is that it doesn't include George Michael since he yeah. passed away. Now wake me up before we go on to the next uh, topic. Uh, <laughs> next, um, the CSA chapter here in town has a survey. Um, they're looking for input on uh, what you would like to see at their meetings, when you want to see the, the meetings, um, whether you'd be open to them charging for meetings. Um, it's previously has been free, but um, they're looking about uh, what sort of model they should adopt for support. So uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Go out and uh, take that survey. Um, let them know when you want to see the meetings and, and what you want in the meetings. And I, I will point out they also are asking about location. You can meet up north, boulderish downtown denver or dtc so you know what's closest to you what's most convenient speak out uh finally in the news area uh cyber girls 2017 this is going to be a full day event uh really with the intention of getting high school and junior high girls involved with security and technology um and get them more exposed to what's going on in that space. Hopefully we can drive those numbers of having women in security and women in technology up. The event's taking place as a full day event on September 23rd at the Regis campus in the tech center. Yeah. And we'll have that in the uh, events section as it comes up too, but we wanted to mention it here specifically to get people uh, to have more visibility of that because it is going to, you're going to want to give some notice on this one, right? right exactly. Um, and then that's really it for the news. But before we move on to the events, I did want to mention uh, we do have a store if you want uh, Colorado Equal Security merchandise. Uh, I'm not wearing my beautiful Colorado Equal Security t-shirt today. Not that you folks would know any different, but uh, uh, there's plenty of stuff there. You should go check it out, uh, order some stuff. You know, We get a couple pennies on everything that uh, that you purchase, so it'll, it'll help us continue to make these podcasts. Uh, so events for this week, uh, as always, remember, we do have an event calendar you can look at. You don't have to just look about the next couple of weeks on the on the show. You can look as far out as you want to. Uh, but on the 29th, on Tuesday, CTA has their SIP and Connect event. Uh, on the 30th, uh, SecureSet has a Hacking 101 Girl Develop It workshop. On the 30th and 31st, we've been talking about this for quite a while the Colorado Springs ISSA chapter has their seventh annual cybersecurity training and technology forum. We've talked about this a bunch. Uh, if, if you haven't decided to go yet, it's not too late. You can, unless you're listening to this on Thursday, then it might be too late. <laughs> uh, but you, you can register now, show up, and, and enjoy great content down in the Springs. Uh, the NCC is doing a first responder cyber exercise on the 31st. Uh, I will actually be participating in that. I think that I am, I'm sitting on a panel discussion, so that should be fun. Are you going to cause the problem that they have to respond to? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe I'll just, uh, you know, fake a heart attack in the middle and they'll have to respond. Uh, and then and then on the 4th of September, DenSec, DenverSec is having their South Meetup. And this is just that uh, real social group with no agenda, get together at a bar, talk, get to know some folks in the community. Uh, it tends to be a little bit more technical in nature, but it's a great opportunity to get some to meet some folks that wouldn't generally show up at an ISOC or ISSA meeting. Right. And that's all we have uh, on the event calendar for the next couple of weeks. There is a sizable gap between the 4th and the 12th for events. So if you're planning on taking a vacation, you should do it during that time because there's Finally. obviously nothing going on. Uh, let's jump into jobs. Uh, number one job, top of the list, Teletech is hiring a new CISO. We've had their their current CISO on the show, Sam Massiello. Um, Sam is going to be heading somewhere else. We will have that news for you as it as it breaks. 
Um, but but for now, there is a new opportunity at CISO. It, what, really one of the largest companies in Denver, and, and uh, I think it's a good opportunity for, for someone who wants to run a program. And congratulations to Sam and his new adventures. Uh, KPMG is looking for a manager of cybersecurity services. Uh, similarly, Deloitte is hiring a cyber risk and compliance manager. Uh, Coal Fire is looking for a client engagement director of cloud and technology services. What it feels like to me is you need to go apply for all three of these and make them bid against each other right. for your yes, services. Exactly. These are these are three pretty similar roles there. Um, Oppenheimer Funds is hiring a cybersecurity manager of identity and access. First Western is looking for a risk analyst. It was this was actually kind of a fun position. I looked this up. Um, and it, it is it does include cybersecurity risk, but it also includes financial risk, operational oh. risk. It's 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 broader than just security focused. Um, so anyone who wants to get a little bit better business vision while still getting to do security stuff, they look like a good opportunity. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, Logarithm is hiring a senior security analyst for GRC. Lockheed Martin is looking for a penetration tester mid career. So I don't know if that means a certain age or a certain experience. Yeah, my guess is that that means that they have this much money and not that much <laughs> money, but but more than just a little bit of money, right? Uh, so Macaulay Brown Inc. is hiring an intercept coordinator. So did you look at this job posting? I didn't see this one, but that looks uh, pretty exciting. So I so I spent an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out what this what this person does. It, it looks like there's so they're they're capturing signals. It's it's around signals intelligence, right? Okay. So this is a uh, this is a uh, sounds like some counter, spy stuff. Count, counterintelligence type stuff um, where they're they're capturing the 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 or intercepting messages and then trying to figure out what to do with it. Uh, so you you do need clearance, you do, but there's very little information posted on the job. You, whoever gets this job Please let me know what your job is as well as you're allowed to, understanding that you can't tell me everything because uh, I'm very curious about what an intercept coordinator does. You obviously, you coordinate intercepts. Absolutely. Um, Crocs is looking for an IT network security analyst. Yeah, this is a 30-hour-a-week job, interestingly enough. Not, oh. not full-time, um, but pretty close. Right? Uh, Digital Globe is looking for an information system security engineer as well as an information system security site reliability engineer. So I know this the, the feature interview this week is going to be um, well, is with Chris Martinez, who you talked to from Digital Globe. So I wanted to get the, these jobs in there. Uh, same time we talked to Chris. One of these jobs reports up to Chris, right? I think it's the, uh, the site reliability engineer one. And the other one reports into their government side, which Chris doesn't, uh, doesn't right, have yeah, he is, He's a peer that does that. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, uh, you want to just talk a little bit about the interview that we're about to start? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I sat down with Chris Martinez um, earlier this week. Uh, we sat down on his porch and had a couple beers, which was nice. Um, you know, Chris is uh, from Colorado, been around here a long time, and is now running the program at Digital Globe. Uh, they've got some interesting stuff going on there, uh, some sort of really forward technology that they're they're working with. They're moving moving to the cloud. Um, they've got. Uh, Amazon's first snowmobile coming to pick up all their, you know, 70 some petabytes of data and move it up to the cloud. So that's, it's so interesting stuff. I know Amazon has uh, taken over a lot of industries. Have they also taken over the snowmobiling industry? I, I think that they have. So, um, well, at least they're starting you know, this is the first snowmobile. I'm sure, pretty sure that there's going to be uh, only Amazon snowmobiles from here on out. So uh, a snowmobile in reality is a, uh, a big truck that moves a whole bunch of data, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, it's not like it's just a semi truck pulls up, you 
connect some power and, and network cables to it, put your data in there, and then they go and do the opposite into Amazon's Glacier environment in the cloud. What's interesting about that is it is the fastest bandwidth currently available in the world is backing up a pickup or a sem- semi right. to your, your building, putting the data onto it, and then driving it across the country. It's the fastest way to move a lot of data. Yeah. I find that interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's you know old school technology meets new school technology. I think it would have taken them several years to do this over you know like a 10 gig link or something like yeah. that. Okay. Well, uh, Alex, thanks a lot. We'll end up talking to you next week. Thanks, Rob. All right, everybody. This is Tim Coogan, Chief Information Security Officer of Denver International Airport. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. This is Alex Wood, and I am here with Chris Martinez, CISO for Digital Globe. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Alex? I am doing just fine. Thanks for taking a couple minutes to, to sit down and chat. Yeah, thank you as well. Um, we to make everyone jealous, we're sitting out here on on Chris's back porch. Uh, beautiful day, drinking a couple beers while we're doing this. So, uh, perfect time for an interview. Uh, Chris, why don't we start out by you know you giving us a little background on yourself, how you got into security, and sort of your your career path to where you are today. Sure. So, uh, and I'll add to the setting here it's also friday afternoon it is also friday <laughs> afternoon even better fac um colorado native grew up uh in arvada okay live in littleton now today as you already know uh, but started the technology career uh late 1990s with uh, jd edwards started in desktop support uh, before that, I did state of Colorado for 10 years, finance, very different career path, but got interested in computers. So made the switch to JD Edwards, uh, did desktop for a while, but that's where I really started my security career. And um, as JD Edwards was purchased by PeopleSoft, um, I had an opportunity to run access management for PeopleSoft. Uh, great opportunity. Didn't last very long. Oracle came along, bought PeopleSoft, um, and quickly went to a different side of the house from a security perspective. And uh, Oracle Security Services. So back in those days, it's it's Oracle Cloud today, but it was Oracle right. On Demand. So I had the enterprise internal side of security services and then the customer facing from an on-demand de- on perspective. Stayed there for uh, between JD Edwards, PeopleSoft, Oracle, 10 years. So a lot of tenure through those companies. Uh, next position was with uh, IHS. So here local. Um, had the opportunity to build the, the security program from the ground floor. So no security person when I got there. Finally made a role. Uh, had two people reporting to me and you know, throughout the whole tenure there, learned a ton yeah. um, all over the board, but got pretty good at incident response. <laughs> Those kind of jobs are always fun. It's, it's, really, it's really rewarding getting to figure that stuff out from the start. Um, but yeah, also you're, you're the guy. So you, yep. end, you end up doing uh, a lot of the grunt work and um, you're going to end up in doing a lot of incidents and getting pretty good at that. Yep. After that, I uh, went to Aetna. So I just spent two and a half years, and I say just, I, I'm not one to typically jump jobs very much. 
but spent two and a half years there. I ran security, CISO for the consumer business. So if you think about Aetna, uh, Fortune 50, 65-ish billion in revenue when I left. And there, there were plans, and it wasn't all set yet, but there were plans to have four CISOs across the different business units. Mm -hmm. Then I found this opportunity here in Denver. Well, actually Westminster. So with uh, Digital Globe, um, a lot of attractions to, to Digital Globe. The, the first and foremost would be by 2020, we anticipate to have our entire business in AWS. Wow. So we have a you know, brick and mortar data center today, but we're rapidly moving um, to a 100% cloud business. So how did you end up um, at the Aetna job? I know that they're obviously not based here. Um, was that uh, was that a lot of travel? Was that, um, did, did you, uh, I can't remember exactly how you, you came to that one. Yeah, um, so the consumer business from an Aetna perspective, I was on the ground floor. And it started with a business unit here in Denver called iTriage. Okay. So down on 15th and uh, uh, Winecube. And over time, added a business in Chicago, a business in New York City. So I was on the road uh, quite a bit. It's interesting. So I worked for uh, Jim Routh, wonderful uh, mentor at, at Aetna. And his rule was no travel during Q1. Interesting. So that kept finance off our back for the rest of the year. So we could do whatever we needed to do from a travel perspective, and, and that ended up being on the road almost 24-7, so Ooh. got a little bit old. I can imagine. Um, especially, I know you got kids. It's tough tough with a family and being on the road all the time. Absolutely. Um, so, so now at Digital Globe, um, you guys do imaging. Uh, obviously, a lot of data there. Yep. Uh, what, what sort of concerns do you have around protecting that data, working with that data. Uh, I mean, obviously there's gotta be some concerns with even security around the scale of that data. Yep. Yeah, it's a, a great question. I've thought about this. So we have roughly 70 or 75 petabytes of imagery. That's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing over the last 15 years. And as I put that into context, I'm like, you know what? It would take somebody forever to steal a large chunk of that data, and hopefully we're going to detect them in the in the in the meantime. So one of the fears that I pivoted towards is what about ransomware? Some something that can encrypt our crown jewels. Yeah. Um, and thinking about the destructive nature of some of the the attacks that are happening in today's world. Yeah, you know, I think being security professionals, we we often first think about that C in the CIA triad. You know, we want to make sure everything stays confidential. Yep. Um, you know, if we're protecting it, it must be important, so it's got to stay confidential. Uh, but those other two are, are nearly, if not more, uh, important, especially in, in some businesses. Um, you know, even if someone stole all your map data, it would probably be less of a hit to you than if you couldn't access your own map data. Absolutely. And we've had a, you know, couple here and there where a single system gets infected and we will quickly contain. Um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with WannaCry. I mean, we, we spun up an incident right away to let's do an assessment. Do we need to have a containment strategy? We didn't see any infections, uh, but we still took that as a, 
that that was a priority one incident. Yeah, I bet. Well, you know, seeing with the uh, run WannaCry and, and not Petya, Petya, whatever you want to call it, yep. um, you know, some of these big businesses that are taking, you know, multiple hundred million dollar hits because their systems have been offline and they haven't been able to do their business. Uh, again, not the, on the, the minds of many security people, at least not in the forefront, but definitely should be now. Yep. Um, and speaking of that amount of data and your uh, move to AWS, I had read an article, it was either in the Post or in uh, Denver Business Journal about you guys uh, using the, uh, the AWS service where they essentially show up with a, with a truck <laughs> and you know, like sort of a, uh, a, a giant hard drive on wheels, I guess. And, uh, and take a whole bunch of your data. Um, how's that experience been and, and just the move to cloud in general and, and, uh, and that particular service and other stuff and you know, moving to AWS? Yeah, so we were the first AWS customer to get a, a snowmobile. So to your point, it was a tractor trailer. I probably drove by it a hundred times before somebody said, oh, that's the AWS snowmobile. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually walked outside and we had fiber going into it, a whole bunch of power. I was like, wow, I never even noticed it driving through because it was near our parking garage. Yeah. Um, it was pretty cool. It's sitting at uh, AWS West right now, offloading. And uh, once that's done, we'll send it to AW, uh, AWS East and we'll have a replication of our data. So when you say send it to AWS East, you mean the actual truck or they will replicate the data from West to East? They will send the truck. Yeah. I, somebody told me how long it would take to actually do that over our 10 gig links, and it was, it was years. That's crazy. I was like, wow. So we're doing that uh, all via a tractor trailer from west to east. So starting with west, and that's where our production is, and then we'll have failover and backup uh, AWS east. Awesome. Um, so you said they had fiber and power running to it. So did they actually pull up the truck and then you know they connected it to your network and then you guys just transferred it through through cables into uh, whatever was in the truck? Yep, absolutely. That's uh, exactly how it happened. That's pretty cool. Um, did you get a chance to look in the truck? I'd be curious to, to know what it looks like on the inside. I didn't and there was a, it was at least a six foot fence all the way around it. Oh really? <laughs> I mean, it was logical that I figured out where it was and what it was, but looked pretty benign as you drove by it every day. Yeah, I, I wonder, is it just like a, is it like a rolling data center? Do they have racks of stuff in there? Or is it just, I, I don't know, anyway. Um, th that just seems like a, uh, a cool mix of old school and new school, right? It's, yep. you know, all this electronic data, but it's on, a, it's on a truck. And what was amazing, one of our infrastructure folks did a, a presentation at the sales conference a, a few months back it had pictures of this big IBM tape system yeah. in our data center. Once everything's replicated, that's going bye-bye. Wow. So you think about, hey, old technology, yeah. new technology, and a whole bunch of different contexts. Cool. So, uh, so you got to get the data there. Um, are the applications there already in AWS, or are you guys in the process of moving stuff? And what's that experience been like? Yeah, good question. Uh, we are hybrid at the moment, so we figured if uh, we can get the, the data there, the apps will move a little bit faster. So in our data center, we have a private cloud with our continuous integration. We've got our, our development pipeline. That's pulling data from a, a closed uh, Amazon VPC. So internet access is still via our main data center. 
We haven't opened up the, the VPCs at Amazon to the internet yet, uh, but that's certainly by 2020, we want everything up there. Yeah. And so as part of that move, are you guys changing your development processes or are you, um, are, are you sufficiently new school enough in your development that you can just sort of port stuff over? Yeah, so another great question and another reason that this job was very, very attractive from my perspective. I really enjoy software security and our latest and greatest satellite, Worldview 4, is on our brand new P2020 platform. That platform is all microservices, it's continuous integration, continuous delivery. All other satellites are on our legacy platform. Mm. Also, it's called P800 internally. That's a monolith code base. Um, so we're trying to get everything right with P2020, integration of security, making sure we can take imagery when it's tasked and get to the right windows. That's what we make a, a large chunk of our revenue. Um, and the idea, idea isn't to port code over, it's to take our, right. our, our older satellites and bring them onto the new platform. That's pretty cool. So you get sort of a fresh start. Yep. Uh, don't have to worry about any of the, the legacy cruft. So is there any, anything in particular that you've had to do around application security specific to, the, to AWS? Um, are you guys you know, using containers and Docker and yep. you know, eight zillion Amazon services that you have to worry about? And yeah, so we bought a product called Evident IO. Okay. Um, second company I've used it at. I like it. It, uh, think of that as one, one layer of the infrastructure security. Can do CIS benchmarking, uh, has pretty good uh, IAM capability. And I, I shouldn't say that Evident has good IAM capability. They've done a great job of tying into the AWS APIs because they're just, that's all the data that they're pulling and putting it into a, a logical format that we can actually read. Uh, we created a, a KPI with a number of highs for each one of the teams that has a AWS cloud instance. And another telling feature is we see the highs month over month continually to decrease in a pretty rapid fashion, which tells me it's pretty easy to consume from a development layer. Yeah. And it resonates and it works. Um, the other security that we're doing, and it's it's not necessarily AWS related, but we're baking in static code analysis and um, open source management into the CI platform. Oh, nice. So trying to get the defects as close to the, the development teams as possible. Yeah. And was that something that you started or was that started uh, before you got there? Yeah, there, there was certainly talk of it. Yeah. Um, but the first business case that I took to the investment committee was a pretty good dollar amount to to do exactly that static code analysis, uh, open source management, developer training. I mean, we've got a, a full program that we plan to implement around it. How has the reception from the development teams been around those pushes? Because, you know, traditionally you you hear people, I don't want to say with horror stories, but it's. Um, you know, I really want to do application security, but my developers won't do it, or right. I keep getting pushback, or you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, so the, the one technique that I learned from Jim Routh at Aetna uh, is how to sell it. So I have a single slide that has the SDLC, uh, trying to make this so you can picture it in your head, um, with a cost to fix. 
and the cost to fix is pretty stable until you get to the release point and then it spikes up. So the, the selling point in, internally to the uh, engineering management, hey, how would you like to have 15% more time to uh, do more innovation, create additional features, do something different? Uh, let's get these defects real time to the, to the developers versus getting to the release point where security is typically, I mean, we have no chance of stopping a, a release if they've been working on it for right. six months or a year. Um, and then it becomes a negotiation between my team and the product manager. Then it goes into the backlog somewhere and a developer ultimately picks it up that probably didn't even write that defect. So also tying in that, that developer experience. Let's give that developer real-time feedback because I, I think generally developers, they want to they wanna know right there. If, if there's something wrong, tell me. They, they want to fix it. And it, it really becomes a, a learning opportunity for the developers understand what cross-site scripting, SQL injection, whatever it is. It's not just fixed there. It's fixed forever in, the, in their code moving forward. That's awesome. Um, do you, from the individual developers themselves, have you seen them uh, grab onto this? Did, did you have, um, if, if they have questions, you guys have people embedded with the development teams or you know, are they coming directly to the security organization? How are you making sure that, um, that they're seeing the, the value in this and that they're not, um, not having questions, that they're not getting, yep. uh, getting stuck on, on fixing the security stuff? Yes, yeah, so the team that's uh, developing the continuous integration uh, pipeline they've also put together a dashboard. So this dashboard will, the, the two components that I talked about, static code analysis, open source management, but it also reports on automated QA tests. So it's meant to be a, a single pane of glass where any developer or any team or anybody in the organization can look at it, and say, hey, you know what? I just introduced two defects into the code. Um, so getting, getting it to the forefront and getting visibility also creating competition between the development teams. Hey, you know, Team X has a, a defect density of 2.0. Uh, team Y has uh, 0.1. And it's just starting to increase the, the velocity and people are, you know, they're competitive with one right. another at the end of the day. Um, direct uh, developer feedback, it's always hit and miss, to, to be honest. And it is a, a culture shift. Um, it's not perfect. A uh, typical line that I'll use with a developer, you, you know, sometime in your career, you're going to come up against somebody for, the, for your next job. You're going to have the same experience. You're going to have the same education, but you're going to write secure code. And, you know, just little things like that resonate. Uh, something we did at Aetna, haven't done here yet. Uh, we're going to create a, a Mavens program. Mm. So there'll be four belts, uh, yellow belt, green belt, brown belt, black belt. The yellow belt will be like OWASP type training and then some quiz to, you know, uh, yeah, that person got it and understood and, and passed the quiz. We're going to create some shirts, give folks a, a yellow belt shirt. Same thing, same concept from a, a green belt perspective, but this will be customized a little bit more, front end developer, back end, maybe a QA. Uh, so another set of CBT type training with a, a quiz but much less prescriptive when you get to a, a brown or a black belt. So brown belt, make a difference at the team level. Uh, black belt, make a, make a security difference at a, an enterprise level. Nice, I like that. That's a really good approach. 
I can't tell you how many people when I was at Aetna, hey, Chris, how do I get one of those shirts? <laughs> it's just a, a little thing that's pretty, pretty cheap at the end of the day if you get that type of adoption. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, we've talked a, a little bit about the, uh, the on-the-earth security, but yeah. you obviously, um, with satellites, also have an in-space <laughs> um, security concern as well. Uh, so uh, what, what is the difference with um, security in, in outer space? You know, it, it's a great question. And uh, oddly enough, my boss this week asked me, you know, we need to start thinking about next-gen security in space. Because thus far, we've uh, approached it in the same manner that we do everywhere else. So we've got operating systems on our satellites, typical stack, very isolated from a network perspective. But we still have the same issues as anybody else as uh, operating systems get older, bugs, defects, whatever, and we have to be able to deal with them. So it's about being, a being able to deal with it but have a high degree of confidence that's gonna not blue screen to death or right. <laughs> it's gonna come back up and, and be operational. Um, we've concentrated a lot on our ground stations. So if you think about, we've got, I think 26 or 28 ground stations around the world, uh, four of them on the commercial side, and the rest are could be friendly foreign government owned, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're called direct access facilities or DAFs. So those facilities, we are just starting to fold into our threat and vulnerability management process. There are a lot of third party components in there. So ensuring our third parties are up to, up to speed, up to par, have the same standards we do, addressing gaps as we, as we find them. Um, but again, not answering your question, it's a very, typical security environment today and, and we're we are thinking about how to do it differently moving forward so uh you know if you guys uh brick a, a satellite because of a, a you know a security scan or a bad patch um do they get to send you guys up into space to go fix it Is that <laughs> yeah you know that actually sounds appealing we might brick <laughs> it on purpose but no probably being a, a lot of trouble that's those are major revenue streams for us and uh I think we depreciate the satellites anywhere from 10 to 15 years. So the the life that they stay in orbit is important to us. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, you brought up the, the topic of next gen security in space. What do you think something like that might look like? It sounds like it's pretty pretty standard today. Yeah. Uh, but where where do you think you'll be in a few years in terms of security in relation to space? Yeah, so I know that, um, between our satellites and ground stations, we have encryption so that we know when the images come down, uh, we're going to decrypt it. We have the key to decrypt it. But starting to think through, and I don't, I don't have any answers yet, um, what could be some other layers of defense there? And how do we start thinking about it differently? How do we make sure it's ultra stable? That would be first and foremost. But we also, we keep it safe. Um, one of my uh, peer organizations, um, they have a direct line into joint space operations. Wow. So JSOC. 
and they have they track everything in, in orbit around the world. Um, so, so we do have layers of different types of defense. We, we know if we're coming up on debris, we know if there's maybe a, a foreign satellite coming. Um, the, the capabilities of, of Russia and China, I mean, those are concerns. So one of the things that we've uh, introduced into our organization and I'll, I'll joke with the folks internally, you know, don't poke the bear, don't poke the panda. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of our business is with friendly foreign governments and yeah. we don't have to be overly verbose about what we do with those kind of things. I, I can imagine. <laughs> um, so do you guys, do you build your own satellites or is that you contract with somebody to, to get the satellite? Or? Yeah, so uh, recently and typically in the past we have contracted with Ball to build okay. them, and then Lockheed to get them into space. But as you probably know, MDA is on the horizon. We're getting yep. purchased. Uh, MDA can do all of the above. And we buy our ground stations from MDA. So the end-to-end -end ecosystem, um, once the acquisition closes, will be MDA. Nice. Well, so then you'll have another layer of, layer of security to, to worry about the supply chain for you know, all the, the pieces, parts that are coming in to build your satellites. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we had talked about prior to the interview is uh, you guys have, uh, you're, you're obviously doing cool stuff, but you have uh, the need, just like a lot of people, for, for really smart people to come uh, do some of the work for you. So I, I wonder if you want to comment a little bit on... Um, challenges you guys have had in terms of, uh, of getting quality people and, uh, for these roles that you need? Uh, what sort of roles you're looking for? Um, you know, why is it somebody would want to come work for Ball? Or Ball, we were just talking about <laughs> for for, uh, um, for you guys. Well, there's no reason to go to Ball. I would yeah. love to poach their people because yeah. they probably have knowledge that is uh, <laughs> very relevant in our space. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think just like anybody else in the industry today we're struggling with with finding talent and and i had a a slide in one of our our board decks around a million cyber openings yeah um, i walked into the job had four immediate openings we have three filled now um still looking for a, another engineer but i also have a peer over on the government side that has a uh couple of so that team is um, they handle all of our secure side networks um, but they've got an engineering opening that's uh, if people are familiar with ICD 503 very NIST compliant oriented on that side of the house um, we're ISO on the commercial side but at the end of the day my, my peers name is Chris Schroll Chris and I are trying to aligned to the point that we can how can we have common processes tools procedures across across our uh, commercial and classified networks uh, those networks will always be separate but if we could use the same vulnerability management system the same sim just starting to align those types of tools instead of having multiple expenses how can we get uh, economy of scale yeah the other organization in an internal decision that we made early this year we have an organization called TSOC, so it's our Technical Support Operations Center. Okay. There are four shifts, 24-7, 365. 
uh, we decided to, and they're doing mission control, mm -hmm. make sure all of the imagery when it's tasked uh, meets SLAs, that type of stuff. But they're also doing uh, level one SOC. Oh, nice. So we've, we've made an investment there. Um, we're also trying to make sure as we foster talent, we have more career paths. So that just created a, a career path into the U.S. government security side, along with the cyber side on, on my team. Um, so there is an opening on that team as well. Um, we term it, it's an agile term, site reliability engineer, but there's one for security. The site reliability engineer for TSOC is responsible for working with my team to create the runbooks, okay. making sure we get the repeatable processes in place, uh, following up on incidents. And, you know, we want to push what we can to tier one and then have our tier two and engineering staff available when we get escalated events. And, uh, and I'll let everybody know the reason that job is open is because the, the incumbent uh, just moved into the cyber organization. Nice. Yeah, and she is responsible for uh, above tier one support and security engineering. Well, I'm glad to hear that you've got some good people and they're getting promoted. Um, I think that uh, I think that's most of what we we wanted to talk about. I wanted to give you a, a little chance if there was, you know, anything in particular that we hadn't covered that you wanted to to delve into. Yeah, and uh, we actually talked about this a couple nights ago, and, and it's it's about talent retention. I would love to yeah. hear your opinion too. Um, I think you know while it's it's so difficult to find folks, we have to really work hard to retain who we have. And a couple of techniques that I've I've well I learned at Aetna, starting to to use here at Digital Globe, uh, give give folks a portion of their time um, to go learn something new yeah, and keep folks engaged. And, and when I target new hires, I'm always looking, hey, I want to learn this, I want to learn that. I want somebody that can go figure out what people just haven't figured out. Uh, it, the, the innovative approach to security, we can't continue to do it the same way. We've got to start thinking outside of the box. And I mean, you challenged me with the the next jet in space, right? We need to go figure that out. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, that's. It reminds me a little bit of I can't remember if it's Apple or Google or both or, or one of those. Um, you know, they have the you know, like a ten percent rule. It's, you know, you get to spend ten percent of your time um, on a project that that you want to do. It doesn't have to have anything to do with the business. Doesn't have to do uh, with your job. It's just hey, I want to go do something cool, and I'm going to go do that. Um, I've heard other people say. Yeah, you know, I spend let my like people spend you know a certain amount of hours a week on you know on threat hunting or you know other stuff like that. So it's, hey, you know, think of an idea and go go see if it's true. Is, you know, um, how can you prove whether or not we have um, Russian or Chinese actors in our network? How can right. you you know whatever? Think of an idea and and go test it. I think that is a great way give people some freedom uh, to let them go do what they want to do. Um, I think for for me personally, one of the things that that I've always tried to champion too is um, I want people to grow. And if yeah. that means that they have to go somewhere else, um, I'm not going to hold somebody back because I know that they're good and I want them to stay. 
um, it, in the long run, it's going to make them a better person. It's going to um, it's going to come back to me. You know, whether I, I work with them in another position sometime or they come back in a different role. Um, I think a lot of times people try and pigeonhole uh, someone in the job that they have because they know that they're good yeah. at it, and then that's just going to leave them uh, lead them to leave anyway, but not on a good note. Yeah, I agree with you 100% using the same 10% rule, give or take. Um, I have a, a new hire. She's been on staff maybe three months. We have a, a counterintelligence team, works heavily with uh, law enforcement, a lot of top secret type conversations. Uh, but she came to me a couple of weeks ago during our one-on-one and said, hey, I'm very interested in this. I like the investigation aspects. And I paired her up with our counterintelligence expert. So anytime he needs to, to uh, task cyber to, to get something done, to go look at something, she's the go-to person. But yeah, I, I agree with you. If, if you pigeonhole somebody in, um, it will ultimately probably get negative and, and you wanna avoid that where you can. Yeah, I think the opposite of that too is um, if someone is you know, they're not the best at what they do or they, um, you know, they're not showing an interest in, in something else. Um, I think, you know, maybe a, a role swap or something like that can help uh, help retain them too. Maybe it's not that they're a bad employee, but maybe they're not in the, the right position. Yep. Um, and getting them in the right spot, I think can help everybody the same way as well. It's moving, moving the deck chairs around a little bit can always be a good thing. Yeah, and another, and maybe this is just a, a personal bias, but I tend to either go towards candidates that have a ton of experience or very, very new to the market. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I've seen more and more people telling me that, hey, I've, I'm going to the, the very new people, maybe not even people with um, cybersecurity experience at all, yep. you know, maybe IT experience or something else that will translate into that kind of experience, um, but that they wanna learn um, they, they have a, a desire to be in the field and, you know, it's a lot easier for those people to come up than it right. is for, you know, you to hire someone with experience, but, you know, maybe isn't real motivated or, you know, they're just looking for a paycheck, you know, whatever it is. Yep. Um, I'd much rather have somebody that you can train in the way that you want. This, this is uh, where I have a, a lot of respect for uh, Digital Globe. The HR department is so willing to, to listen. Because I've been pretty blunt about, okay, if we want to get somebody directly out of college, we need to have a good aggressive three-year plan, or we're going to be the, yeah. you know, the training base for <laughs> other companies to come right. and poach our folks, and very receptive to those types of conversations. Yeah, that's a great point too. You know, it's one thing to hire the new folks, but if you don't have anywhere for them to go, you train them yep. up, then eventually they're going to want to go somewhere else. So, you know, if you want to keep them into a different role, then you got to have some place for them to move up to. Yep. Uh, well, great. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate the conversation. Uh, any other closing thoughts? I don't know. Wonderful day here in Colorado. I want to remain in Colorado. And for the, the folks out there, um, keep charged, keep motivated. Um, your passion is what's going to make the difference at the end of the day. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Alex. This has been Colorado Equal Security, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.
Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.